0: When are people going to see that nothing ain't never going to change unless somebody finally makes up his mind to stand up and fight? Damn.
1: NetRitch Radio presents Hopping Mad with Will McLeod and Arliss Bunny. Now, here's Will and Arliss. Welcome back to Hopping Mad. Uh, Originally, we had a different show than the one you're about to hear. Uh, I'm Will McLeod, of course, and I am here with Joel Dent. Hi, everybody. We originally had a section where we went through and discussed the various groups within the alt-right, who the alt-right were, uh, because we thought it would be topical. We expected that there would be violence after Charlottesville. We expected street fights. What we did not expect was an ISIS-style vehicular terrorist attack that left one person dead and 19 people injured. So we've decided to devote the whole of today's broadcast to a discussion of the alt-right and who they are and what happened in Charlottesville and the various actions that these folks have taken in the past, and also the various ways that we can fight these groups and organizations. Um, And we're glad to have Joel with us on this topic uh, because he has devoted a lot of his personal activism and study to looking at who these people are. Unfortunately, Arliss is away on business this week, so she can't join us in this discussion, although I know she would want to. Uh, So with that, we're going to go ahead and, and get started. To start off with, let's just go through the various events that led up to Charlottesville. The, the city of Charlottesville, the community of Charlottesville did not want the alt-right there. They tried to have a court injunction against them. They tried to go after the organizations that were you know, trying to get permits. They tried to prevent that. They did everything they could in their power to stop this from happening. And if they'd been successful... Heather Heyer would not be dead. One of the
0: things about Charlottesville is it does have a fairly long history with racial violence. Um, post the Civil War, the population of Charlottesville, there was actually more African-Americans there than there were white people. But with through decades and decades of really heavy Klan activity, it's been whittled down. I believe the number right now is at about 19 percent African-American but the city of Charlottesville has a very long, very painful history with racist violence. And so when these people started coming to town, they knew exactly what was going to wind up happening. They knew that these groups were going to be violent, and they did, that's why they did as much as they did to try and stop it.
1: Absolutely. So they, they have experience in, in this community with this kind of violence. They have experience in this community with this history which is why they wanted to stop it. And, you know, I think that when we talk about freedom of speech, I've said in the past that I like that the United States has an irresponsible view of freedom of speech, that you're allowed to say whatever you want and do whatever you want. But that does come with certain limits. You're not allowed to engage in violence. You're not allowed to incite violence. And I think when it comes to rallies like this and the legal justification for preventing them, I think we need to recognize that these organizations and these and these groups are not engaging in free speech. They're engaging in acts of incitement. A Nazi march is just a mobile wall of incitement to violence. That's what they are. Every time they move, every time they speak, they are promoting the murder of other Americans. They are promoting violence. Their very actions are inherently violent as an act of incitement and I'd like to read a quote uh, from Karl Popper called The, The Paradox of Tolerance and I think that's a great foundation on which to build this discussion Popper said that unlimited tolerance must lead to the disappearance of tolerance if we extend unlimited tolerance even to those who are intolerant if we are not prepared to defend a tolerant society against the onslaught of the intolerant then the tolerant will be destroyed and tolerance with them. Essentially what he's saying here is that open societies will be destroyed if they are open enough to allow racist and violent rhetoric to live within them. He goes on and says that in the formulation he he's created here, he doesn't imply that we should always suppress the utterance of intolerant philosophies. Now that is what they do in certain parts of Europe under hate speech laws, is that always certain things are suppressed, such as there's no time at which it's legal to engage in Holocaust denial in Germany. It's just not legally allowed. That is not protected speech. What Popper says is that as long as we can counter them by rational argument and keep them in check by public opinion, suppression would certainly be most unwise. But we should claim the right to suppress them if necessary, even by force, For it may easily turn out that they are not prepared to meet us on the level of rational argument, but begin by denouncing all argument. They may forbid their followers to listen to rational argument, calling it deceptive, and teach them to answer arguments by the use of their fists or their guns. We should therefore claim in the name of tolerance the right not to tolerate the intolerant. We should claim that any movement preaching intolerance places itself outside the law and we should consider incitement to intolerance and persecution as criminal in the same way that we should consider incitement to murder or kidnapping or the revival of the slave trade as criminal. Now, we do consider certain acts of speech to be criminal and the standard that we use is the imminent danger standard. Which is that if your speech places others in imminent danger, it is a criminal act. It is not legally protected speech. And I would argue that allowing Nazis to assemble is inherently allowing a violent assembly. They do not, by definition, as Nazis, peacefully assemble. That's not what they do. That's not how it works.
0: And we saw that at Charlottesville when they showed up with uh, clubs and uh, quote-unquote shields. And the thing about those shields is is that all the edges of those shields are sharp. In fact, there was a young woman who has a massive gash on her face from it um, that I saw in a news report from somebody striking her with the side of one of those shields. That they showed up with guns, lots and lots of guns, and lots and lots of them with guns which is, of course, an attempt to, to, to basically suppress the free speech of their opponents through the use of intimidation, through the use of the threat of violence. Even, even if no one was shot in Charlottesville, the guns played a very, very large role on the alt-right insofar that if you're a bunch of counter-protesters and you see 50 armed men coming down the street and behind them are another 50 guys with shields and clubs, and those guys with the shields and clubs start coming after you, well, how are you going to retaliate knowing that you can, or defend yourself, really, knowing that you're going to get shot, possibly, by the group that's basically standing there, allowing them or or giving them sort of cover to attack you?
1: Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but I feel like before we uh, we deal with the acts of actual and overt violence, which we do need to get to, let's deal with the concept of speech as violence. This is one of the things that is a difficult concept, but that, uh, as I've pointed out, the, the paradox of, of, of intolerance deals with. When you're arguing with even a Trump supporter, someone who is a Trump supporter, you will be able to sit down and have an argument with them about what society should look like about what we should do. And they'll argue about taxes and they'll argue about the border and they'll argue about building a wall. And those are all positions, which, well, I find the idea of building a wall to be pretty abhorrent in the modern world, because number one, it's, it's a waste of taxpayer resources. Number two, it's steeped in racist language. And number three, it won't work because airplanes can fly over walls. And the vast majority of of people who are undocumented migrants have flown here and overstayed their visas. So border walls just won't work. But that's all a debate you can have. You can't have a debate between the position that the border wall is a bad idea and the position that Jews, LGBT folks, and anybody who isn't white deserves to go into an oven. And those are the two opposing views that exist when you're arguing with the Nazis and the KKK and a good chunk of the alt-right, which is, as one of the advisors to George W. Bush said on the news this past week, a terrorist movement. Go ahead. It's, absolute, it's absolutely a terrorist movement
0: and it has its roots, as you said in that Karl Popper quote where you were talking about how if you, if your movement forbids your followers from having rational discourse... Well, what have we seen on the right, especially the far right, over the last decades? The increasing insistence that anything that doesn't come from their far right news sources is biased or false. Their their movement, the right movement in general, has this anti-intellectual, anti-fact that disagrees with them strain. And when you carry that a couple steps farther... That's how you slide into the alt-right. It's essentially the entirety of that side of the spectrum. The farther right you move, the less rational the discourse becomes. And that is something that has been built in to the right wing of this country deliberately over the last several decades. Because, honestly facts are not on the right side so they started inventing their own facts and now we've gotten to the point where rational discourse with a lot of people is just utterly impossible
1: that's true and that's that's a, a problem but i think that in a lot of those cases there are ways to deal with that internally and i and i think we have to deal with this when we're talking about speeches violence and draw a pretty big distinction between views that are stupid And views that are destructive to the idea of the United States and destructive to liberty. So the the alt-right view that, again, we should put Americans in ovens and murder anybody who disagrees with the alt-right, that is, on its face, a view that itself is destructive to liberty. And we should reserve the right, in the name of the preservation of the United States, our liberty and our values, to consider that kind of speech criminal. But comparing that to other nonsensical conservative ideas, such as the idea that tax cuts create jobs, that's an idea that is economically damaging and that is false. But it's not inherently violent because it doesn't call for the destruction of America or Americans.
0: I, I wasn't necessarily implying that those are the the intolerant views. I'm, I'm simply mm-hmm. stating that it's it's very easy to see where the the hard alt-right is getting its recruiting because they have this large pool of people who are yeah. already predisposed to mistrusting any facts that don't come from their side. So it's very easy for them to keep dragging these people, recruiting these people, essentially. Yeah. But no, I, you are absolutely right in that uh, somebody believing that uh, the Russia thing doesn't does not exist is not an inherently violent... Viewpoint, whereas somebody believing that uh, journalists and liberals should be thrown out of helicopters is absolutely. You are correct on that.
1: Yeah, and that is one of the things that they've been they've been memeing about, and they did send uh, violent threats to journalists all throughout the last campaign. And again, I think we need to draw some very specific. Uh, we need to discern who the violent ones are, and I wasn't saying you were implying anything, Joel. I just wanted to be extremely uh, explicit about the groups we're talking about here, that we are talking about those who preach violence. Um, Oh, absolutely. And that this is, uh, these are uh, some, some things we need to be very clear about, but to, to continue. So we've talked about ideological violence. We've talked about the sort of shouting fire in a crowded theater, that system of speech where you're not engaging in a debate. You're engaging in a shouting match to recruit, to, further the aims of your movement, which seeks to destroy the very freedom of speech that you hold and that you are using. Because again, uh, the the alt-right and groups like them love freedom of speech until they get control and kill everybody who disagrees with them. They're not using freedom of speech to engage in a conversation, they're using freedom of speech to acquire power in order to destroy freedom of speech. That kind of ideological violence is very different from what we saw in Charlottesville, which was literal and actual Violence. Now, before we even get to the ISIS style vehicular terrorist attack, there was a ton of violence that was caused by these groups that marched on Charlottesville, that invaded Virginia in order to spread Nazi ideology. And you mentioned the young woman who was hit in the face by that sharpened quote unquote shield and has a big gash across her face from it. There's also uh, the case of DeAndre Harris, who was a peaceful protester, uh, who tried, who got separated from the group of counter-protesters and tried to run into a police station's parking lot to get away from the Nazis. And they chased him into the Charlottesville police station's parking lot and beat him very, very severely with clubs.
0: Yes, and... uh... That there were no police officers to even really stop it. Um, the police had a lot of issues that uh, happened in Charlottesville, and one of those was, of course, them consistently backing off of the alt-right. And uh, he had gotten, DeAndre had, uh, in, in the interview I read with him, he said that he had gotten into a shouting match or an argument with some members of the alt-right and that then they started chasing him and his friends He was the one that got caught uh, The only reason we really know about this Is that a, a photographer happened to be there And catch it on film and on uh tape And it was brutal, unsettling, uh terrifying And absolutely showcases what the alt-right will do If given the chance
1: Yeah they, they chased a peaceful protester into a police station and beat him. And the police still have not caught these guys. And let's talk about the police in Charlottesville. They did not have the resources they needed to deal with this. Because the resources that they needed to deal with this are the National Guard. When the Nazis show up and try to attack people, we need actual National Guard units on location to back up the police. Really, anytime these guys march from now on, there need to be armed National Guardsmen there because these guys bring guns. And I would rather have, instead of a bunch of police officers whose job it is to catch criminals, the National Guard whose job it is to protect civilians from this kind of violence. The National Guard has the training and the equipment to be able to deal with these situations. I mean, the idea that a bunch of riot police are going to be able to handle Nazi thugs with automatic weapons, or semi-automatic weapons. It's just, the police alone are not going to be able to handle these situations. And so, of course, they backed up. Because the the threat they got was that they were going to get in a firefight with the alt-right. There was one situation where the police got called by one of the alt-rightists, uh, by one of these uh, uh, Nazi guys, uh, called in to the police and said, okay, in that square that you guys cleared, there." are a couple of our guys and they're stuck and we're about to send 200 guys with guns to go retrieve them if you don't get them out. They specifically... Yeah,
0: that, was on the, that was on the Vice documentary.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it was Vice that reported that, yeah. And they, they, they threatened the police. These guys threatened the police. They threatened the people of Charlottesville. They said they were going to send people with guns against these protesters. And in a lot of cases, they beat peaceful, unarmed demonstrators very, very badly. And then they say, oh, it's the, it's the left who's violent. It's, it's left-wingers who are violent. Well, actually, there was, and we talked about this uh, before, before coming on the air, there was a left-wing militia there. Uh, would you tell us about them?
0: Uh, it's a group called Redneck Revolt, and they are a uh, left-wing militia. They're a little bit on the conspiracy theory side. They are very hard left. However, What they were doing there, and they showed up armed, I believe there were 40 or 50 of them that showed up, Uh, they did not come there to engage the alt-right. That's not what they did. That's not what their purpose was there. They actually formed a perimeter around a small area and used it as a safe haven for counter-protesters. And any time a group of neo-Nazis would show up, and start marching towards that area with the intent of beating on some counter-protesters, the members of Redneck Revolt would form up a line, show that they were there, show that they were armed, and show that they were not going to back down. They did not attack. They did not assault. They simply allowed their presence to be a deterrent to roving bands of neo-Nazis that were looking for counter-protesters to uh, beat up. But they shouldn't have had to have done that. That should be the National Guard's job, like you said, to come in and handle that sort of responsibility. It should not necessarily be on a private group of citizens with guns because we, you know, we're normal citizens. Redneck Revolt are ordinary citizens. They might not necessarily have the training to handle Large groups of neo-Nazis, something bad can very easily happen. Thankfully, in this case, in this specific thing, there were no shots fired. Nothing like that did happen. But their actions were purely defensive, as opposed to the alt-right armed militias whose actions were intimidating and offensive.
1: Yep, and that's the point, is they they keep saying, these these, uh, fascist groups keep saying that it's the left who's really violent, when if you look at all the evidence... The left were, by and large, the victims of violence here. And the left-wingers, with the capacity to do a great amount of violence, who showed up with guns, did absolutely no violence at all. In fact, uh, two of their uh, guys ran down, or two of their people, I'm not sure of of gender or anything like that, but two of their people ran down to the vehicular attack and acted as medics before the police showed up. The fact that we had people with medical training on the ground At this uh, protest is one of the reasons that there weren't more people killed, by the way, is you had people with medical experience on the ground there, including two of these folks from Redneck Revolt, uh, and they were able to stabilize folks before the paramedics were able to get in there and perform other life-saving operations. You look at you look at that. And it's, it's pretty clear that this meme that the left is violent, too, or that there's uh, violence on many sides. Although, technically speaking, there there was violence on, on many sides. It's just that it was the Confederate side and the Nazi side, and both of those sides need to be opposed. But the, the rhetoric that the left is just as, as violent as the right, right is clearly untrue. I, uh, and to just give some, some numbers there, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, I think it was, it was either them or the ADL, actually came out with some numbers on terrorist attacks since I think it was 2007 and in that period 74 percent of all terrorist attacks were carried out by right-wing groups two percent were carried about by left-wing groups and the other 20 odd percent were carried out by Islamist groups that is terrorist attacks against Americans in the United States we have a, a major problem with this kind of violence
0: yes and we've had it for years and decades now um and the thing about the meme about how the leftists are the violent ones is that is quite literally straight out of the Nazi playbook. Mm-hmm. It's you, you go out into the streets, you start fights. When people defend themselves, you come back and you play the victim. And the quote-unquote left-wing violence that happened in Charlottesville was entirely or almost entirely defensive in nature. It was people defending themselves from assaults that wound up, you know, macing alt-righties and, and KKK members and Nazis who got maced. They got maced because they were assaulting people. And what happens when someone assaults you? You're going to try and stop them from assaulting you. That's not being violent. That's defending yourself, which considering the proliferation of stand your ground laws in this country. You would think people would understand, but they don't want to because the way that the alt-right is trying to twist this is so that the normal American is going to say, oh, well, both sides are violent. And that's what they're trying to go for. And it's simply not true.
1: Yeah. um, And and to deal with that, one of the things that they always talk about is Black Lives Matter. They seem to want to say that Black Lives Matter is the same thing as the KKK, which is on its face absolutely ridiculous because the kkk is a terrorist organization and black lives matter has been attacked by terrorist organizations twice or lone wolf terrorists in in one case and a terrorist outgrowing of the alt-right in another um okay in one case you had the attack on those uh black lives matter activists and police officers i think it was in texas where uh, five people were killed and fourteen were injured. If you look at that incident, that was an attack on a Black Lives Matter protest by a black nationalist separatist. He was not there to support Black Lives Matter. He was there to shoot people, including people who were there as members of Black Lives Matter. He attacked a Black Lives Matter demonstration. That was a terrorist attack on Black Lives Matter. The other incident was when a group of alt writers fired. In yeah, yeah, in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, four uh, folks showed up and uh, a guy named Alan Lawrence Scarsella showed up, tried to start a fight with Black Lives Matter activists, tried to encourage violence, and then shot five of them. They came to carry out a terrorist attack against Black Lives Matter. They, I think, I think one of the things that they look at is, is riots that have occurred and they're trying to say, well, that's what BLM wants. No, BLM kind of has, has, has been really clear that they're not, Supporting riots And it's just dangerous situations have happened As a result of anger Over the fact that people's children are being Murdered Black Lives Matter is saying Please don't kill us Would you please stop killing us That is what Black Lives Matter is saying But KKK is saying Let's kill all the black people
0: Yeah so the, the False equivalence there is is Very very jarring Yeah. Now uh A lot of this stuff has, of course, historical roots. And I would like to get into where a lot of this comes from, historically speaking. Not just Charlottesville, but basically the, the history of violence, of terrorism on the alt-right and, and where all these various groups are coming from. So um, I would like to speak a little bit on... Some events that happened back in the 90s that do have resonance here today. For instance, Will, have you ever heard of Elohim
1: City? Uh, I have heard of Elohim City, but let's, let's do it this way. Let me point out that real quick before we get to the history, just the very recent history, and then we'll go into that 90s history. All so right. starting with the very recent history, this is not the first racist attack with a vehicle this year even. I mean, Slate had a great article about how alt writers have been fantasizing about carrying out an ISIS-style vehicular attack for a while. But uh, it was back in May, uh, a racist man shouting slurs took his pickup truck and rammed it into a birthday party for a member of the Quinault Indian nation, killing a man named Jimmy Smith Kramer. And a week before that vehicular attack, which killed Smith Kramer... A guy who was a member of an Alt Reich, as in the Third Reich group, carried out a knife attack on 2nd Lieutenant Richard Collins III, who was about to graduate from Bowie State University. And at a protest against, uh, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos, there was uh, someone named Joshua Dukes who confronted two writers who walked up to a group of protesters and were randomly pepper spraying them. So Joshua Dukes walks up to these guys and and asks them to stop pepper spraying people randomly, and they shot him in the stomach. This was a husband and wife who had said that they wanted to go to this Milo event so that they could crack the skulls of snowflakes.
0: Mark and Lily uh, Hokoana, and yes, and they they went there specifically to provoke an attack. They They actually were caught on video, uh, pepper spraying people, trying to get them to take a swing so that they could shoot someone in self defense. And the video caught Mark telling his wife, No, you don't draw yet. Don't shoot anybody yet. They have to start it. They have to start it. Mm-hmm. Basically, trying to engineer a situation where they could claim self defense.
1: Yeah. Heather Heyer is not the first American killed by Nazis and racists this year. And I'm. Hopeful that she will be the last But I'm not convinced That she will be I expect that there will be further terrorist attacks from this group But let's talk about their history
0: So um, As I was saying a moment ago About Elohim City It is on the uh, It's in Texarkana It's on the Texas and Arkansas border And it is a small Independent enclave Of far right militia types Um, Domestic terrorists Anarchists Right wing anarchists I should say And uh, sovereign citizens And the like And it's actually where Timothy McVeigh Got his uh, help His bomb making help When he made the uh, Truck bomb for Oklahoma City And these enclaves Have been around For decades and decades And decades There was a spate Of time there back in the early 90s when you had things like Waco and Ruby Ridge when Bill Clinton was president, where you had this huge spike in right wing militia groups and places like Elohim City popped up. Now, it is still around and it is sort of the old school of this Nazi, uh, KKK style right wing terror hubs. Now, as far as I know, it is currently they have DEA and FBI informants implanted inside Elohim City, but they've no, thus far not gone in to shut it down because they are worried about another Waco or another Ruby Ridge. They are worried about an absolute bloodbath if they were to try and go in there. And you saw that and, in reaction to Mallor as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, the The FBI and the DEA are very much... Uh, walking on eggshells a lot when it comes to these sorts of groups they don't they they don't take and pursue these sort of uh, super aggressive tactics that they used to because they are concerned about the backlash because they are concerned that if they go and do a heavy crackdown that turns bloody it will in turn activate all of these other militias that are across the country and there's uh, several hundred uh, right wing militias All across this country uh, Ranging in numbers from you know Five to ten guys up in the woods in Michigan To several hundred when you're talking About groups like the Three percenters or the Oath keepers And while not all of these right wing Militias are necessarily tied In with Nazi or KKK ideology um, Almost all of them do Share a strong anti-government Bent and groups like the Nazis, the neo-Nazis and the KKK and the like do a lot of recruiting from these right-wing militias. There's mm-hmm. also been an FBI report that states that uh groups like the KKK have done a very have made a lot of effort into infiltrating local um police departments and that, not necessarily that they've succeeded, but that they are working on stuff like that as well. So this has been going on since probably the early 90s is when the real big explosion of it happened, the real big uh, spike in these groups. So the neo-Nazis and the KKK have always been with us, but they come and go in waves. And when we had that last wave in the 1990s, it crested, as I guess you could say, with the Oklahoma City bombing. And now we're going through another wave, and I fear that it has yet to reach its zenith.
1: Yeah, one of the things pointed out, uh, there's a really, really great documentary called Welcome to Leith that I encourage folks to watch. It's available on Netflix, and it talks about the attempted takeover of the small town of Leith, North Dakota, by a guy named Cobb, who is a neo-Nazi. Uh, he wanted to create this place for other neo-Nazis to move so that they could take over the whole town. And the town responded by creating some ordinances about water and sewer, that you had to have water hookups and sewer hookups. And this drove this guy into such a rage, because he couldn't afford to do that, that he marched through town with a gun and threatened a bunch of people and was then uh, arrested for terrorizing the town Almost went to jail, but worked out a plea bargain agreement that, you know, prevented him from owning firearms. And the people in the town are very, very angry because they're worried that he and his Nazi friends are going to come back and attack them. Uh, they are upset about the fact that he saw no jail time, that they really, really wanted him to see and that he honestly should have served. Uh, and they're and they they were victimized by these Nazi groups who then saw no real consequences as a result. In that documentary, there's, there's a line about uh, talking to the SPLC. And what the SPLC said in this documentary um, to the people creating it was that there was a group within the FBI that existed in the 90s uh, was going after these neo-Nazi right-wing militias. The last time they were supposed to meet was 9-11. And since then, there's been no real focus going after the alt-right and far-right terrorists the reason we're seeing the growth of this wave is because our government failed to stop it. They'd been working on it in the 90s. And, and the truth is, we don't actually need stuff like the Patriot Act to go after these guys, because the stuff we were doing in the 90s worked. The, the, the process the FBI had been going through was working. We need to go back to that. We need to actually go after these groups again.
0: Absolutely, we do. And while a lot of people will point to the powers that the Patriot Act gives... Honestly, it was something that was totally unnecessary in handling of these right-wing groups. And, of course, now you have things like uh, the president ordering the terrorist task force that was focused on de-radicalization to stop worrying about de-radicalizing the far-right and only focus on de-radicalization and infiltration of Islamic terrorist groups, which, as you pointed out earlier, only account for about 20-some percent of the terrorist attacks here in the country since 2007, whereas the vast majority of them are from right-wing groups. In fact, one of the things that if you talk to a police officer, one of their biggest fears is not getting involved in an Islamic terrorist attack. It's having to deal with a sovereign citizen, because sovereign citizens are heavily armed, They are generally violent And they do not recognize The authority of the United States Government And that movement has also been Poisoning this country Since the early 90s Is where it kind of got its big Boost So there's a lot of historical precedent For these these alt-right And Nazi groups And it's all sort of this stew This miasma Between anti-government, quote-unquote, patriots, hard-right militias, out-and-out KKK or neo-Nazi groups, and they're all kind of woven together in this uh, far-right fabric where they'll blend into each other and be kind of hard to distinguish from one another, but a lot of them are very different in sort of style or overall ideology but the one thing that they all share in common is that they are incredibly dangerous
1: yeah so um, with the time we have left let's talk about what we can do about these organizations and let's talk about uh, things that we ought to support uh, first, first off I think um, one of the things that we ought to consider is supporting organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center. So if you're someone who donates to organizations, put the SPLC at the top of that list, because they are the organization that tracks these groups and that sounds the alarm about these groups. They are the ones who make sure that that when these folks are going about their business, that someone's watching them. And we also need to start supporting political candidates who take the threat of the alt-right seriously. We need to put pressure on conservative candidates to go after these guys and allow them the space to do that because the alt-right is not all conservatives. And as much as I don't like a lot of what the traditional right in this country stands for and all the ways that they have made space for the alt-right and caused problems here, I, uh, I, I, I recognize that the whole of the country really does need to come together to fight these guys, so working with everyone from every side of the political spectrum, left and right, to oppose this kind of violent rhetoric and organization is really necessary. Um, and doing what we can to help conservatives take the lead on this sort of thing, because there are folks who want to draw distinctions between sort of your violent militia groups. And then people who are involved in gun culture and just want to sit in the woods with their guns and be left alone. Not everybody with a firearm is a militia guy who wants to shoot Americans, and is a sovereign absolutely citizen guy. Not. Just like
0: absolutely not. I own firearms.
1: Yeah. So we need to we need to respect that. And just as I, I drew some very very harsh and uh, explicit delineations when I was talking about what kind of speech is violence. And that we need to be very careful there. I think we also need to be very careful here, and making sure that uh, we draw distinctions between the anti-government guys and the folks that are just kind of like weird survivalists who sort of think that all of human civilization is going to collapse and they need to be prepared for that. But they're not going to do anything to cause that collapse, and they, you know, are worried that the government won't exist rather than intending to bring it down. And it's it's in the same way that you've got conservatives that agree with Trump, you've got folks that like to sit in the woods with their guns, and they're, they're a different group of people, and we need to make sure to draw those distinctions. That being said, we really do need to show up and protest every time these guys are out. We need to show up and tell them no. They want to be able to march unopposed. They want to be able to carry their violence through the streets and smash windows and go after the small number of, of African-American activists who will show up to oppose them, or go after the sort of more left-wing folks who oppose them, people who are socialists and anarchists on the left. They want to just have those folks that they can attack. The rest of us need to show up. And we need to push our governments, local, state, and national, to call out the National Guard in force anytime these guys have been able to finagle the court system in a, into allowing them to be publicly violent.
0: And one of the other things that I feel that we ought to do, and a lot of people have talked about whether or not it is doxing, but if you are a Nazi that shows up at a public event and your picture gets taken and you lose your job because you were seen to be at a Nazi event, good. As long as we are accurate in identifying these people, if they're going to come out en masse as Nazi supporters, as KKK supporters, then the world should be made aware of who these people are. They should be named in shame. They should not be able to simply hide back in society, come out, have their little racist hate party, and then go seamlessly slide themselves back into the community where no one is the wiser. Yeah. And part, part of that is uh, when we are out protesting, and, or counter-protesting as the case may be, we should definitely have our cameras ready, our phones ready, to make sure that we capture exactly who these people are and exactly what they're up to. Just like, we might, just like we might monitor a police officer with our phones to make sure that they're behaving properly, we know that these neo-Nazis and KKK guys are not going to behave properly, so why wouldn't we have our phones on them as well?
1: Yeah, uh, you've got to record them every step of the way. Because, again, we talked about their tactic, which is to be violent and then record people defending themselves and then say that the self-defense was actually an attack on them. Because how dare you defend yourself from us? That's That shouldn't be allowed. And that's actually their worldview, is they don't think anyone should be allowed to defend themselves from these guys. Um, we talked about that yes. weird fascist ideology that the uh, the enemy is both contemptible and all powerful and weak at the same time
0: and the one young man i believe his name was peter teft who got disowned by his family in the wake of this his father said in the letter that uh, talked about him he said that his son would joke that uh free speech was fine you could say whatever you wanted it's just that then they would throw you in the oven if they didn't like what you said yep and that's, as we were talking earlier, that's what their ideology boils down to, is people like me who are LGBT or uh, people who are African-American or people who are transgender or people who are Jewish all deserve to die.
1: Well, it's, and, it's more than that. If you're someone who's listening to this program and you are straight and white And for some reason have been able to do the DNA testing and turns out that 100% of your heritage is from Europe. That generally doesn't exist because, you know, uh, uh, traders got around back in the day. Uh, Europe was not a white place. It was not lily white all the time. Uh, Africans arrived in what is now England before Anglo-Saxons did. They were brought by the Romans. So... (laughs) I mean, since 2000 years ago, there has been mixing of stuff. So nobody's purely right. But let's say that, you know, you come from some isolated community in the middle of Europe and and you have that kind of, quote unquote, purity that these guys care about. So you have all that and you happen to agree with us. Simply the the act of agreeing with us on one issue, according to these guys, makes you a cultural Marxist. And a race traitor, and you deserve to be killed because you believe differently from them. Even if you are a conservative who believes differently from these guys, the very fact that you don't agree with them means that you ought to be killed. Anyone who disagrees with this movement deserves death, according to these people. So, you don't have to be LGBT or Jewish or anything else. You just have to disagree.
0: And that's why we say that just their... Their ideology is essentially hate speech and that when they are marching and talking, even if they're not explicitly saying, hey, go kill that guy. Like at that moment when they're holding their rallies, when they're having their speeches, it is violent speech because of that.
1: And we know and we know also that the moment they think there aren't any cameras on them, they'll go beat people up like the woman who was hit in the face with a shield like DeAndre Harris who was chased into a police department's parking lot and severely beaten. I mean, yep.
0: and they'll do it as much as they can get away with and the fewer of us that show up to counter protest them, the more empty space they will have in between having eyes on them for them to propagate their violence. So we need to make sure because there are there are obviously far more of us than there are of them. There are far more people who do not believe in nazi ideology there are far more non-nazi non-kkk conservatives than there are these people there are definitely far more of us on the left than there are these people if we show up in overwhelming numbers to these protests they will not be able to do what they want to do
1: absolutely and that's the thing is is they you know we've been talking about Here in in our area, because I'm in D.C. and I have friends in Richmond, we think that they're actually afraid to come to Richmond because there is a larger population in Richmond and there is a large black population in Richmond. So they are afraid to run into a large number of black people, that they're actually scared of that. And so there's there's a feeling that they would never come to Richmond. That's why they were in Charlottesville, by the way, is because it's this tiny college town and they they thought they would be able to, to get away with it being completely unopposed. And then when they weren't completely unopposed and didn't get to have their little Nazi rally like it was a mini Nuremberg, one of them was so infuriated by the fact that they weren't allowed to spew hate that he ran over people with a car, which is designed to terrify all of us into not showing up. In the same way that ISIS is trying to get people to stop showing up in public spaces and be afraid, it's exactly what they did here.
0: And believe me, Will, when I say this, um, because as, as I've said before, I do monitor the, the alt-right, and I do monitor places like Stormfront, um, they, they have been trying to spin it as, oh, well, people were attacking this car and this guy panicked. But if you watch the video, it's very obviously not what happened. But it just shows how it doesn't matter what type of violence they propagate, they are going to try and spin it to say that they were the ones who were the victims and they had to fight back. That is, ex- that is the entirety of their strategy when it comes to violence, is to perpetrate attacks and then claim to be the victim.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they do. This has been their modus operandi since uh, Kristallnacht in the 1930s when they attacked a bunch of Jewish businesses and smashed shop fronts and beat people up and killed people. They have always tried to say that that sort of thing is an act of self-defense. They want to view, and they do in their ideology, view attacking folks as self-defense because they've convinced themselves that the rest of us are trying to kill them, even though we really just wish they'd go live in the woods with their guns and leave everybody alone. They don't want to do that. They want to come after the rest of us. And, you know, their, their twisted ideology leads them to believe that violence against the rest of the world is correct. So they've got to be fought. So... Sort of to close out our our show today, I want to talk about crypto fascism specifically. There's been a new movement. If you look at uh, the British National Party in the UK, and if you look at the way the alt right has organized, which is built around hiding the fact that you are a fascist, and uh, I'll I'll offer a quote from a guy named Nick Griffin, who was a, the leader of the neo-Nazi British National Party in the United Kingdom, who spoke to a group of far-right folks, which included David Duke, who was at the Charlottesville rally. And what Griffin said was, and I'm quoting him here, there is a difference between selling out your ideas and selling your ideas. And the British National Party isn't about selling out its ideas, which are your ideas too. But we are determined now to sell them. And that means basically to use these saleable words, freedom, security, identity, democracy, nobody can criticize them. Nobody can come at you and attack you on those ideas. They are saleable. Perhaps one day, once by being rather more subtle, we've got ourselves in a position where we control the British broadcasting media, then perhaps one day, the British people might change their mind and say, yes, every last one must go. Perhaps they will one day. But if you offer that as your sole aim to start out with, you're gonna get absolutely nowhere. So instead of talking about racial purity, talk about identity. That speech by Griffin was given to a group of KKK members and neo-Nazis. And that kind of idea that they're going to stop talking about racial purity, that they're going to stop talking about killing everybody who disagrees, that instead they're going to talk about identity and liberty and freedom and security and all these other things, that is... One of the main reasons that this movement has been able to grow, because they've learned not to say we should exterminate entire races to start out with. That whole group of people we talked about earlier who have been propagandized to not trust anything but from the right wing. And, you know, Breitbart does this really well. They only show media that pushes a certain political position. If they can find something to blame on a black person, they will. That's how Breitbart does so they can say, look at all these awful black people and how violent they are. They do the same with Muslims. You could do exactly the same thing with white folks and showing all the various criminal acts carried out by white criminals and portray everybody who's white as a violent lunatic because it's easy to take things and create a context. And that's what these guys are about is creating a context where they start to look rational.
0: They absolutely do. And Breitbart's main sin, especially immediately after the election, was simply how they phrased their coverage. Now, a lot of the consternation that is on the alt-right right right now, what you were talking about, saleable ideas, is there's a group that's, there's a bunch of uh, splits and factions and divisions right now because they feel like the Charlottesville rally was too soon. And these alt-righties don't, disagree with what happened at the charlottesville rally they simply were are arguing that america wasn't ready for that yet and they're mad that basically their whole ideology has now been exposed before the country was ready to accept it is what their argument is
1: and i actually saw an argument where they cited the beer hall push by uh, hitler which was uh, shut down by the german government as as an example Like they're saying, we should do exactly what we did in Weimar, Germany, where we tried to have a revolution and it failed. These guys are like, well, we tried to, you know, create this, you know, white pushback and it failed. And they're going to keep trying, just like the Nazis in Germany did.
0: Yep, one can only hope that our institutions and our people are going to wind up being a little more resilient and a little harder to fool. And I honestly feel like the Internet is going to help with that, but it also (laughs) does have its drawbacks.
1: Which allows them to organize in online spaces. Although it is nice to see them getting chased out of those online spaces. For example, uh, the Daily Stormer is no longer being hosted by uh, by the people who hosted them. They tried to switch to a Russian sh- site, and the Russians shut them down. It's It's been interesting to watch this as they get pushed back into the dark web where they belong.
0: And as long as they stay on the dark web, you know they can have their little hate site. It's when they're on the main you know google index that they have a much better chance of recruiting (laughs) and i can honestly say with a little bit of relief it's been kind of nice for me not having to go over to the daily stormer and see what those jerks are talking about as part of my sort of alt-right watch routine that i do though i do have to admit that since charlottesville i've kind of Backed off on it a bit, just because it's been. Sometimes your soul needs a break from that stuff before yeah. you
1: you can't stare into that abyss for too long. Absolutely not. So that's our in-depth coverage of the aftermath of Charlottesville, of the alt-right, their beliefs, how to fight them. Uh, we will be back next week. Arlis is still away on business, but uh, please tune in. There is no extra mad portion today, but you can find. This podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And of course, at our website, imhoppingmad.com. So tune in next week, but coming up is K Grow in the Morning here on Netroots Radio.